are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Grab your Bible and open to the book of Romans, please, chapter 8. Well, I tell you what, I've been a member of several churches since I've been saved, but there just ain't no place like this place, amen? I am thrilled beyond the ability to describe it tonight that I am a part of the North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. I want you to look in Romans chapter 8 and beginning at verse number 31. And uh, see, Brother Chambers, are you listening? Hi. <laughs> He, was, he had the TV on over there. I couldn't figure out what's going on. But uh, is there a ball game on tonight? Is there a way you can flash a light at me up there when I get to about 15 minutes and 45 seconds? All right. Thank you. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want to preach to you tonight on the subject. I got to thinking about what we might need to be reminded of as we come to the end of one year and the beginning of another. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject matter of the promises of God. And since I'm not going to have anywhere near the time to give you the outline tonight in its total, let me quickly give you some things that you can look at when you get home. The Bible says there's a promise of assurance. There's a promise of abundance. There's a promise of an advocate. There's a promise of uh, accomplishment. There's a promise of accompaniment. I'm only going to hit a couple of those tonight. First of all, I'd like to talk to you about the promise of assurance. The Bible says, if God be for us, and by the way, we can just go ahead and lay that to rest right now. There is no if because he is. God is for us. But the Bible says, if God be for us, who shall be against us? I don't have time to deliver uh, all that I have down here about that, but I want to give you a visual illustration that you'll never forget. If God be for us, who shall be against us? Brother Brown, would you come up here, sir, quickly? And uh, Brother Azarello, would, you send, would, would your son come here without being too frightened? Would you mind that, buddy? He does mind. Okay, would you? Would you mind? Jason, would you come? All right. Very quickly, Brother Jason, you come. Now, I want to show you something. If God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, Brother Callahan, oh, you're, not, you're up there, okay? Uh, Brother Condit, would you stand right there? Brother Condit is going to be a visual picture of a Christian. Use your imagination. We were just getting to like each other too. I don't know. Brother Jason's going to represent the devil. And Brother Brown is going to represent God. Now the Bible says, if God be for us, who shall be against us? I want Brother Connor to come here. Devil, start giving him some trouble. Let's see, step here so everybody can see you. We're over here on the side, okay? Devil, start giving him some trouble. Start beating him up. Okay? He enjoyed that. 
Now, right in the middle of the devil giving him some trouble, God is going to step in between the devil and his loved one, one of his own sons. So step in there, God. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't need to say anything else about that except to say this. When it comes down to real terms, the devil is not even as large as Jason in the sight of God. I'm gonna, man, you get defeated and the, and the devil comes and puts some hard stuff on you. And you say, how shall I stand? I'll tell you how you stand. Step aside, ask God to intercede for you, and let him do his job. If God be for us, who shall be against us? And yes, that's even the devil. Then it goes on and says this. The promise of abundance. Look at verse number 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Years ago, when I, when I pastored around Christmas time, I, did, I had an annual thing that I would do. I um, brought Christmas trees and all this, uh, and, and a couch, and sometimes those little portable fireplaces that ran on electricity and looked like real fire, had everything off except for an easy chair where I sat, and we took turns reading um, uh, or singing Christmas carols, and I would do, I, I would do uh, readings throughout the night. One of the things that I would read was a story of how a preacher and his family out in the prairie states in the middle of the wintertime came down to Christmas with nothing to give their family. And I read the story how that the little girl would come and ask for a doll and how the two boys would come and ask for some, for some skates and, and how the, how the, the husband, uh, the, the circuit-riding preacher, needed desperately a coat and some socks to keep his body warm. But they had no money. And I'd read in that story, and, and it would sort of set the scene and it sort of grab your heart. You thought about this family out there serving God. And then on Christmas Eve night, when the children had just about ready settled down for bed, a knock came at the door, and a man had pulled up out front in a sleigh, and he brought in a big sack, and he said, here's a, he said, here's a special delivery package from back east. And they brought it inside, and they opened it up, and man, my heart thrilled every Christmas as I read the same story and the same place every year I cried because it grabbed my attention how that inside the box was a coat for the preacher husband and socks and, and a doll for the little girl and skates for the boys, just what they wanted. I thought, boy, isn't that great? I never would have given this illustration until after Christmas because I did not want to make anybody think anything. But I'm going to be honest with you. I came to Christmas this year, and I didn't have $2 to spend on my family for Christmas. And I got off by myself and I said, Lord, you remember that story I used to read every year? I'm the story. I don't have anything from it. Now, it wasn't that I, I needed, you know, socks and a coat uh, for freezing. Well, this year, I guess we did. But, uh, but it wasn't that we were on that desperate end. But you know, daddies and moms, how you feel? You want to give something to your family for Christmas? Well, I got a check in the mail from a church, and uh, I, I put $10 in, in the car uh, for gasoline and had $40 in my pocket to go buy Christmas presents. 
I had heard how you're not supposed to put things in your billfold because folks steal them. So I put the $40 in my pocket. And somewhere along the line, when I'd reached in to pull out my car keys, I lost the only $40 I had to my Christmas gifts. Lost. I sat down in the car and I said, Lord, you know, $40 wasn't going to be a tremendous Christmas, but man, it sure did beat nothing. And I said, I just don't know what to do. And I said, Lord, I believe you're the same kind of God that you were for that story that I used to read when I was a pastor of a church. I said, Lord, I sure would like to get my girls on the bed at night and tell them how that the gifts that they opened up on Christmas Day was provided by you. I said, now, Lord, to be honest with you, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. I can't go into it all. But from a, two or three different sources, the Friday before Christmas, my family was made, given use of, over $1,000. Now, which we did not spend all for Christmas, by the way. I didn't go out and be hog wild and foolish and ignorant. I spent $995 on Christmas. <laughs> you know what? When I gathered my family together and I brought them across, we all lay down there in our bed, in our bedroom, and I said, girls, let me tell you what God did. You know what? I was so glad that I lost that stupid $40. And I could tell them what God had done. Now, let me tell you something. My Bible says that God will supply. I believe that God will supply. Always have believed it. But I had to put it to the test. And he never did fail. The promise of abundance. The promise of assurance. Don't you give up, mom and dad. Don't you dare give up because you've got a rough time. Don't you dare roll over and kick your legs up into the air like an old hound dog that's submitting to the devil. You say, wait a minute. My God supplied my needs. I'm going to pick up my needs. I'm going to pick up the supply, and I'm not going to get down in the mouth about it. The promise of assurance, the promise of abundance, the promise of an advocate. The promise of an advocate. I don't have time to go into the whole story, but we bought some property when I was pastoring in New Jersey. And because of a political kind of a thing, uh, we, we bought it from a Catholic church building, a church group. And they told us that we were different from the Catholics, which we already knew but that we no longer could use the building that we had purchased from the Catholics as a church. It was a 30,000 square foot building. We had over 40 Sunday school rooms in it, large auditorium, public restrooms. And I asked the fellows, I said, if this is not a church building, what is it? And they said, well, we've got to go by the zoning. I said, well, what does your zoning say it is? They said, it's a single family residence. What I did not know, the Superior Court judge, there were three of them there in our, in our district, one of the three Superior Court judges, his property joined our property. He didn't want us there. That's what was happening. We were feeling the brunt of the political machinery. Well, we went to the court, the municipal court, and they kicked us out. They said, you've got to be out by December 27th. Well, my attorney went and got a stay of execution, whatever you call that stuff, and we went to the Superior Court with our, with our plea. 
He said, if you can show me a piece of paper that said that that 976 River Road, Piscataway, New Jersey property had ever received a conditional use permit in the past, I'll let you stay there. We found the piece of paper. It was in the basement of the architect who had retired at the age of 82 years old. He didn't know where it was. We just went rummaging through hundreds of boxes until we found it. We took it back to the judge. He looked at it. He says, well, I'll tell you what. I don't know who it was that filled out this form. I don't know when it was filled out. Therefore, I'm ruling against the church. You must vacate the property by December 27th. Man, I stood to my feet. And I said, Merry Christmas to you too, Your Honor. He looked at me with fire in his eyes, and my attorney jumped to his feet. He was a Christian man. He was seething, angry. He bounced his fist on top of the table. He said, listen to me. I smell collusion in this place. I didn't know what collusion was. I thought it might have been dangerous or something, you know. I, uh, I didn't know that that's where folks got together and planned ahead what was going to take place. And the attorney and the judge looked at the attorney and said, I'm going to find you in contempt if one more word comes out of your mouth. My attorney said, the only thing in this court that's contemptible is you. Only God knows why he didn't get killed on the spot by the judge and thrown in jail, but he sort of had mercy. I'll tell you why. His guilty conscience is why. So we got kicked out. When we got kicked out, we got sent back down to the municipal court level, and they said, aha, you are guilty. I'm fining you $9,000 for all the times you continue to meet in the building after we had told you to stop meeting there. I didn't have $9,000. We had spent $35,000 on the court hearing. And I did not have $9. I asked my attorney. I said, if I can't pay the fine, what goes on? He said, you're going to jail. So I went to court that day to go to jail. I could not be represented by an attorney because my attorney had become a municipal court judge and was no longer able to represent me. He said, it doesn't matter, you're guilty anyhow. He said, you just got to go through the process. So I was in front of that court all by myself. The judge marched in. The city attorney was over there ready to show all the reasons why I was guilty. And I sat there wondering, what in the world am I going to do? Don't have $9,000. I'd ask my assistant pastor to come with me to drive my car home so my wife would have automobile to drive when I went to jail. I was looking around for Perry Mason or anybody. I mean, somebody help me. They opened up the case, and the city attorney over here said, Your Honor, I would like to move for a continuance. I thought, what does that mean? The judge said, you'd like to move for continuance. He said, why? He said, well, you see, we just had this hearing in the, uh, in the higher court, and I don't have all the evidence back down here yet, and, and we need to get the evidence back to go forward with the case. And I still remember the judge looked down and he said, Sir, how long have you known about this trial? He said, I've known a month. He said, and you didn't get the stuff that you needed in a month's time. He said, no, sir. He looked at me and he said, Reverend, I want to explain to you what's going on. He said, he wants to put you in jail. I said, yes, sir. He said, he doesn't have the evidence to convict you. I said, yes, sir. He says, and he wants me to postpone the hearing so he can go get the evidence and come back later and convict you. I said, yes, sir. And the judge looked at me and he said, 
you, and he starts shaking his head like this. He said, you don't want a continuance, do you, Reverend Davis? And I went, no. I'm against continuances, Your Honor. I don't want any. And the judge slammed his gavel down. He said, case dismissed. You know what it was? My, uh, my judge became my advocate. I want to give you a wonderful promise. My Bible says this to all of us in this room tonight. In verse number 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession. Verse 34 says this, Christ is our condemner, but Christ is also our intercessor. That means when the devil comes and says, hey, God, you know what Davis did? And God says, what did Davis do? And the devil tells. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps in there, who would be my condemner, says, no, wait just a second. Davis is innocent by means of the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. I'm looking into the faces of men and women tonight. The devil has this bondage of guilt held over your head. And every once in a while, he'll, he'll reconjure and replow some of that stuff up and say, how can you sit out there in North Valley Baptist Church pews? And how can you be a Sunday school teacher? How can you be a preacher having done the things that you've done in the past? I'll tell you how. Because I am innocent. You say, how do you know that? Because my judge is on my side. The blood of Christ cleansed me and washed me made me whiter than snow and justified me just as though I had not sinned now listen you're going to go into 1991 not knowing what in the world is going to take place I looked at the groups across the platform a moment ago and the 16 singing men and noticed that a couple were not here so it was not 16 singing men but I got to thinking you know 1991 perhaps some of those men may be missing for other reasons, maybe illness, maybe some way or another they leave the area. We don't know what's going to happen in 1991, but I'll tell you what I know. I know that if God be for me, nobody can be against me. I know that God spared not his own son and neither is he going to leave his own children to wallow without any of their needs being met down here. I know that he is on my side and makes intercession for me. And he does not want me living beneath the bondage of guilt that's been forgiven at the cross. And I know that he wants us to live victoriously. The songs, the words to the song that Brother Condit sang a moment ago, I talked about our church coming this far and we're not going to stop now. Well, we all said amen, hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord. We clapped, we cheered. Uh, that's not only just for the church. That's for you. It's for your wife. It's for your children. It's for your family. It's for your own heart. The promises of God are without repentance. And I want to challenge you tonight. Man, accept those promises. Hold your head high. Set your shoulders square to the wind of adversity. 
Walk as though you have the entire Word of God behind you, because you do. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.